you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. We'll beat the medium seed. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, coming to you from a city filled with heroes in bunkers, in garages, in fact. We got, we're up to two heroes in garages. Uh, Craig Rosenthal's with us, Mark Sessler's with us, but also the great Patrick Claibon. What is up, boys? What's up, guys? You know, I, I figured um, if somebody's out because they're a new father, uh, the best thing I could do is have a child. And then, uh, and then hop on to, uh, to hang out with you guys. So. Well, it's a bit of an upstaging. Would you say it, that's not the case? You've no, I, well, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to pit child versus child here. Uh, I am obviously biased. Uh, but, Yet. uh, Greg, Greg asked and, uh, I, I asked Lauren, you know, cause I was like, hey, you know, I want to hang out with the guys. Uh, can I do a podcast? And, uh, and she was like, yeah. Uh, so we, we, we made it happen, which is cool. Mm. Do you have any parental units over there? Anybody to, to help out or is it just uh, the four of you? Uh, her mom was here uh, initially because Malcolm couldn't come to the hospital because he would have broken it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we uh, she was here. She left a, a few days ago. So it's it's just us doing the two kid thing, which is. Uh, so, yes, different. Jade <laughs> Claibon, born July 29th. Page, Cla- Page Claibon. Sage. You have to blame that on our researcher. My researcher is my five-year-old son, Jack. Uh, so you could throw him under the bus. Uh, but Sage Claiborne born uh, July 29th. And, um, you know, you also, Patrick, told us before the show that you had ab- abstained from alcohol during the entirety <laughs> of um Lauren's pregnancy and then we were like whoa it blew all of our minds and then we said well how much do you drink and you said I believe the number was what mark eight ounces uh, eight ounces is what you uh, per mean, week yeah, I mean, well it's kind of like, like between eight to ten ounces per week I mean it's a, you know it's it's not like I'm I'm, I'm 36 guys it's not like I'm 25 anymore just going out mm. getting blitzed all the time uh <laughs> the number will be a lot higher um and I spent so much time at home like at some point, you have to be concerned about alcoholism. If you're just at home with your three-year-old, you know, kicking back shots. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know what? This has been, and I think this has been a, a common talking point that since this, you know, the COVID-19 took hold in mid-March, a lot of people have turned to drinking on some level to get a release or just to relax <laughs> after the kids are in bed or just to relax and just to kind of turn your brain off uh, for stress reasons. I certainly was doing that. And and I think um, I think it's fair to say that you also then have to keep tabs on these things because how the days all like bleed into one another. You might realize, oh, wait, I've I've drank multiple days in a row. Let's shut this thing down. That's why I instituted my weekends only policy mm. just for that reason. Mm. Anyway. I mean, I would say one thing that. You know, Sessler conspicuously quiet. No, not at all. I mean, I, I, I think there was this period of sort of lush behavior um, right. when everything kind of melted. And I and I forget you can you can point to alcohol, you can point to lots of things. But it was, um, you know, I can maybe sleep in a little bit more than I need to or not really care um, if the kids are roaming around the house or just eat takeout food nonstop. Because, hey, look at me, I'm supporting vendors. But then suddenly <laughs> yes. I've tapped on like 18 pounds and um, it's not coming off as easily as it did in the days past. So you got to there's a reckoning um, at the end of all this. So I, I think it's lost its luster. The um, the Caligula facts of self rooming. That was something yeah. initially is like, hey, we're all in this together. Just completely letting go. I do have to ask like Patrick that. one question, though, is someone who, you know, I named my child um, Colton after Colt McCoy. And I and when I see Sage, I have to ask if you've followed suit and named Sage after uh, Sage Got Rosenfeld is one of your uh, favorite. <laughs> Clearly, signal uh, callers. You, yeah. when you go through uh, quarterbacks, which is tough, right, because you're looking for a name for a girl. And it's like, man, I just have to name her 
after a quarterback. <laughs> right. A Dolphins just, quarterback, ideally. Yeah, just yeah. one of the more iconic quarterbacks in NFL history whose list of accomplishments includes – Things dropped out there, but the, yeah. Um, well, I think the new, the new sage will have the accomplishments. Uh, no, I mean, no, he he no. had the sage copter. You right. know, that's what he's remembered for. Although I do, you know, frankly, by who? Um, <laughs> by Texans fans, and unfortunately, it was a rough. It was a rough moment. Was that a playoff? Did you see the sage copter? Well, there was the Elway copter. Yeah, you, you play, gotta remember yeah. the sage copter where he I got where sage got spun around and had a costly fumble uh in a game where i, th- I think all they kind of had to do is hold on to the ball and they would have won uh it, it was a, it was a tough moment but he had some great moments for with miami that i enjoyed there was a great he was, says great moments yes there was there was a sage take a while back and so like i replied with a a screenshot of me searching youtube for sage rosenfeld's highlights and it said no results found and uh, everybody replied like Hey, Sage Copter. What about the Sage Copter? It's a, it's a thing. It's out All there. Right. Huh. All right. It's good. Thing. All right. So, you know, let's be honest here. Like, so our our show, as as it's typically comprised, is four white dudes and uh, Ricky, our producer. And, you know, it's important to have other perspectives, especially right now. And we've been lucky because it's not just like, oh, we got to go dial up and let's get Steve Weish on here. Uh, let's get this person, that person. We have people that they're friends, they're friends of ours. And Steve Weish is a friend. He came on last week and, and MJ Acosta was on our network show uh, on Friday. And that was, a, you know, we really enjoyed having MJ on. And um, Patrick, we want to, we're excited to have you on for a number of reasons, but you've always been uh, very outspoken in a positive way on Twitter and, and, and saying things that you believe in. And you've always been, um, there's no better. There's nobody better as a, a Twitter troll slayer than Patrick Claybon. Uh, so to, to have the, have the opportunity to hear from you um, and listen to you at this time when you were you're in paternity leave, I don't think anybody thought it was even an option. So we're really mm. happy to have you on the show. Uh, know what your la- the last couple of weeks have been like. You know all this unfolding in the world set against the backdrop of the baby uh, in the middle of it all. Like uh, yeah, what's what's it been like for you, Patrick? It, it's I mean that's. The backdrop of everything, because uh, a lot of things have been happening. Uh, obviously, the global pandemic uh, being one thing we talked about not drinking, uh, going through a global pandemic where, uh, you know, things have started happening and uh, you, you get a few. And not that it's bad. Like, I, I like talking to people, uh, but at a certain point, the uh, the white guilt phone calls <laughs> do, tend right. to get, <laughs> do tend to get a, a little tiresome. Um <laughs> But like, I understand where people are coming from, honestly, like, cause these discussions, right? Because of the way that our society perceives racism <clears throat> is that it's this thing and either somebody is a racist and they're a bad person or they're not a racist and they're a good person. And we kind of elude this idea that there are racist things that good people can do that have racist outcomes and negatively impact people. And so under that specter, like discussion of these things is hard because well-meaning people kind of don't want to talk about it. And it takes kind of the country being on fire before some people uh, feel comfortable uh, about talking about it for, for fear of, you know, being a bad person. Um, And and that, that kind of out is what allows these things to, to continue because we, as, as a people, as a country, we have a difficult time addressing the particular matters that, that lead to these outcomes. Um, and so it's, it's been different, uh, to see the reaction because like you guys know me, uh, you talked about the tweets and you know, like the person that I am, I mean, this week is, is last week and last week is last month and last month is last year. And last year is every moment, since November 25th, 1983, that I've been on this planet. Uh, But it's a little different to see um, the world, the NFL, Roger Goodell, um, you know, some coworkers that I'd never spoken up to or spoken to about this, you know, kind of stepping up and, you know, using the right language, you know, saying the right things. And so uh, it's been different. It's been very different. uh, I was going to say you mentioned like the NFL – you know, how, how it's been different internally. And I think we can, you know, talk a little bit about that because it's, it's out there, you know, the meeting, even just that, um, 
I, I assume you were on Patrick, the one where Roger Goodell um, spoke and um, they had some speakers involved and Steve Weish and MJ Acosta hosted it. And some, there were some uh, definitely emotional moments with employees addressing Goodell, which was, which was fascinating. I, I don't think anything like that's ever happened before that, you know, that's already being written about in, in football morning in America by Peter King. And, you know, some, some of the stuff that was going on is in the athletic article about how, you know, the, the player's video came about and, but just from an NFL perspective, you know, it was really such a change. I'm curious, Patrick, what you were thinking watching that, that first meeting. Uh, and we don't have to get into the, the details of it, but just seeing some of the young people at our company not only speak up and be emotional about their experiences, and, and I, I, the word heartbroken um, sticks out to me uh, in terms of a, a coworker of ours, Jarek, that mentioned in terms of he was heartbroken about the reaction and the, the response that the NFL had had to everything. Uh, but also like the tough questions that mm-hmm. that Roger Goodell <laughs> took um, from from our employees. And um, and I guess later that day, you know, you saw you saw a little bit of a change from from Roger. Yeah, it was it was in, in heartening, um, you know, for me. These are, I mean, you guys know, we talked about this, like, this is a discussion I've been preparing for my whole life. And so I'm sitting there holding, you know, a, a five day old and, you know, I'm, I'm having to like pass her off to, to her mom and kind of sneak away to listen in on this phone call. Who also works at the NFL and I'm sure, <laughs> sure would love to be, you know, listening too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's something that's, uh, you know, definitely important to this house. Um, but, you know, you, you wonder who's going to say it. Um, and I, you know, have, you know, pull back the curtain, you know, I'm going year by year. I I don't know how long this is going to be there, uh, for me. And so as, as firmly as I tread, uh, I, I still always try to find a way to tread lightly. And so like openly questioning the commissioner, uh, with regards to something that, that pertains to a lawsuit that the NFL, uh, took place in, you know, I, I can't do that. Um, I, I didn't feel like I would be able to do that, uh, safely. I, I don't feel, I, I can't afford counsel. You know, I can't afford to, <laughs> to get my knee surgery that I'm putting off for nine years. I can't, I can't find, uh, <laughs> legal defense. So, um, to, to, to see Jordan straight up ask that question, uh, Jordan Dolbin, uh, just ask Roger Goodell about Colin Kaepernick. Uh, the first thing I did was, you know, flip over to Twitter and send her a heart emoji. I, I never use hearts, uh, but to hear the passion in her voice, uh, to to hear the way that uh, she phrased it. And then AJ uh, Curry followed up asking mm-hmm. him right back after that. It just meant a lot. It, it, it meant a lot to to those of us who, you know, like I said, you feel you get to this point, you have to tread lightly uh, because this is the country that we live in. And so you, you don't want to offend the wrong people. Uh, people talk about PC culture, but you know the, the people that that say that <laughs> they're the ones that you know o- operate and run the culture. Uh, so the, what you can't do is you can't offend them uh, because then uh, you don't have a job and, and you're you're looking somewhere else. And so for 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 the social team and talking with people, uh, you know, former employees, the the folks in social they read the replies. You know, they see right. how the world is reacting to everything. And so I, I think that makes them in tune. I, I think it, in some sense, you could say it almost radicalizes them uh, to the and they're younger people. Yeah. And I mean, Steve, Steve said it to, to, you know, cap that meeting and, and credit to Steve Weiss for, you know, hosting a few of these things. And he started actually by asking Goodell about the player's video. And we can we can backtrack and, and get into the whole story about how that happened. But he actually did start it by by asking Goodell about that. Goodell indicated that something would be coming out later that day, but he wasn't going to basically say it uh, in that forum. But I remember him closing the entire uh, couple hours uh, by saying it's been about as mentally draining you know, a week as possible, but that he was getting energy and he was inspired by, by the young people, not just at this company, but, but everywhere. Oh, I'm glad it was extraordinary too. It was extraordinary. Patrick, you alluded to Jordan Dolbin, who we've known for years and she was on the shield softball team and AJ Curry, who we've worked in the next room over from us. Uh, Brendan Minter, he, he's been kind of the center of the story. He, 
he works for the social team and he connected with Michael Thomas uh, kind of uh, behind the scenes, not with any, um, you know, he didn't give his boss a heads up ahead of time. It was something he felt he wanted to do was important to do because he wasn't happy with the direction the NFL initially take it had taken uh, in the aftermath of uh, George, George Floyd and also Colin Kaepernick um, years ago now. And to see these people that we know that we work with, uh, it was it was surreal when watching that and seeing Jordan talking and asking Roger Goodell about uh, Colin Kaepernick. And um, I just it's it really is. That's the word that keeps coming to mind is extraordinary that that we're seeing hopefully, you know, change. And and but one thing we have definitely seen, whether it's lasting change and we're going to find out and, and you can only cross your fingers, but that this does, again, feel different. This isn't something um, George Floyd was killed in custody two weeks ago now and it it this remains not just a, a, a important huge dominating story in our country but in the nfl and you just want to you want to see that keep coming i would say one quick thing that i what i think all of us who were on that call who've worked for the nfl for an extensive period of time can feel good about and when you talk about is this change going to last or not is that um you know, here's what happened. The NFL put out the initial response and it felt very much like an NFL response. And to your point, Patrick, that all the all the people on the ground looking at the response to that from players, um, from fans, from people around the country who have a different perspective than uh, the people that put together that initial message, don't know who they are. Um, it's just not acceptable. And, and the one thing I felt um, where I felt energy on that call and you could feel it building was that the answers were not acceptable. Um, and it's not to point fingers at the league office or any of that stuff, but Jordan answered the question. And then when, when AJ, um, I thought, it came in with a second question about Kaepernick that was very clear and very direct, uh, it's saying we're not going to accept the same answers and we need to ask the questions differently or we need to ask them a second and third time. Had that not happened on that call um, and at everything that, that Brendan did too, I – I mean, Goodell's response, I don't know if it would have existed, but I mean, at some point, um, you know, and Goodell's been a troubling, you know, he's had, he's had his issues through this, but uh, I do see someone who's trying. I see someone who uh, is trying to some degree with where he's at in life to formulate a response, and he did. Now, I, and there's a lot of people learning slower than we want to, but I learned a lot in the last few weeks myself. I think with, with the, in terms of the league and Roger, they're, they're very insulated uh, in terms of the things that they have access to, the people that have access to them. Uh, one example would be when the commissioner speaks at the league meeting, uh, us in the NFL Network newsroom have no idea when he's going to speak. There's no communication. We just have to watch a monitor. And when the commissioner runs up there. I know everyone you know, thinks we have the, like some sort of inside. It's like, no. It's so like, you know, I'll, I'll sprint to the desk and it's like, hey, uh, Commissioner Roger Hill is at the podium uh, set to speak. And so, like, I think when they hear things, uh, like when they talked about meetings with the the Players Coalition, um, they honestly might be hearing a lot of these things for the very first time. Um, and so you could see it through their reaction uh, to 2016. And this was the thing in a subsequent call uh, that I brought up, uh, because I, I definitely know, like, all the all of the stories and the personal uh, notes, I, I've got them. Everybody has them. Um, but what I want to, to try to do is, is to kind of look back at what we did wrong, uh, and why we did those things. Um, in 2016, 2017, 2016, 2017. Yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, it was obvious that a certain reaction from a certain segment of the population was prioritized and that was the concern, um, past doing what was right or honestly evaluating the issue. Um, and while those folks are being you know, relatively quiet now, uh, they're going to be back. It's an election year. Uh, they're going to be very loud. They're still going to have a lot of money. They're going to have a lot of influence. How is the NFL going to react um, when that starts happening? And and that, that's my question for them now. And, and mm. you know, I guess we're, we're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, Do you think it, it was answered a little bit later that afternoon? Because I just know the timing of, you know, you asking that question on, on a – 
a second work call that was kind of following up the first first one, but it was yeah. more like localized uh, to, you know, later that afternoon. That is when Roger Goodell releases, you know, the video in response to the player's video, basically, you know, saying Black Lives Matter, um, talking about, you know, police brutality and basically repeating what they wanted him to repeat with the exception of Colin, you know, talking anything about Colin Kaepernick. Um, did you think that was sort of, you know, a sea change, you know, cause he definitely, there's definitely nothing like that. Um, a few years ago. I, well, the, my thing is like going from, from zero to, to 50 is, is incredible progress. Uh, it, it it's not a hundred, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, we should be happy with 50, but the reason we wanted 50 is because we want things to be better. Uh, so there's no need to be complacent with 50. Uh, we, we can try to work our way, uh, you know, towards 100. I just, I know that a lot of the people who made those decisions, uh, you know, that, that put up the slides, we were all at that media summit where they put up the slides talking about the decline in viewership um, and how it tied to the protests and how that was the concern. I, I, those people are still, are still here. Mm. And I, I'm not, I'm not clamoring for anybody's job, but I, I would just like to know um, if it was a consultant who selected those consultants, um, are are they and um you know what's what's changed for them and, and what priorities uh, have have changed for them uh because the, you know these things these things aren't going to go away it's it's not a quick fix part of uh one one quick thing was just that i i saw how jason reed wrote on the undefeated today just how uh patrick mahomes being part of that video really made a difference which is was interesting that 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 carried some some weight uh in the league office super bowls mean a lot mhm <laughs> you know a lot He's the face of the league uh, in a lot of ways. And, you know, spinning forward into September and in the hope that there's a there's a season, uh, you just wonder what's going to happen, the fallout with Drew Brees, uh, his comments. Of course, he, he made the comments about the flag, um, a huge backlash. He apologized multiple times in multiple formats. Uh, but then really where the story took a huge turn then was when Donald Trump tweets Drew Brees, who – they they've had a connection together in the past. Drew Brees, you should never have apologized uh, for uh, saying what you said, which is don't kneel um, during the national anthem in protest. And then Drew Brees, uh, in an important moment for him, uh, replied to the president and essentially um, rebutted what uh, Trump's criticism was. I'll just read what he wrote back to Trump. We must stop, stop talking about the flag and shift our attention to the real issues of systemic racial injustice, economic oppression, police brutality, and judicial and prison reform. We are at a critical juncture in our nation's history. If not now, then when? We as a white community need to listen and learn from the pain and suffering of our black communities. Now spin forward to September this is an election year. Uh, it's going to be a, obviously a high, hotly contested and it, it's going to go in a lot of directions as Trump tries to get four more years. And you can imagine almost guarantee two things that players are going to kneel and that Trump is going to use that to try to inflame his base. And how does the NFL, Roger Goodell, the owners who might politically uh, align more with Trump than not. How do they uh, react and put pressure potentially on Roger? This that will have huge um, uh, ramifications in a few months if there is football played. Hmm. Well, it's already happening. I mean, Trump's come after Goodell specifically, you know, since um, I'm, I'm sure they're not looking to have that fight out publicly, but it it was. It was interesting with Breeze because that was his third apology, essentially. And, you know, he, he did it once. He got criticized a lot for a vague apology where he uses, like, the clip art of the you know, <laughs> the white hand and the black hand. Yeah, if, if, you like Google, if you Google, like, white hand, black hand together, right. like one of the top the, results. it's the image that comes up. <laughs> he didn't go to age on that search. And then, and then he apologized a second time that day. And that one was still pretty vague, too. But it was, you know, it was a little more in-depth. And his wife had apologized. And it was interesting it took till that for, the fourth time when he went to Trump where he actually started, where he addressed specifically some of, I think the issues, which I think, you know, people were waiting for his, his, his teammates were accepting his apology and they did a, a lot in house and Sean Payton 
uh, reportedly told everyone, you know, don't talk about it outside. So, so we're not going to hear too much about it. But it was interesting that 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 response to Trump was the first time Freeze actually started going through and kind of addressing the specific issues of the day rather than just sort of saying, I'm sorry that I offended people. And, and that's really how things should work. Right. You, you, you say something, people call you out on it, you evaluate um, and then you go about things and to have an opportunity to kind of confront really the the face of <laughs> of these problems. The president. Uh, it's um, and not that these problems are exclusive to the 45th president. They were pervasive for, you know, 45, 44, all the way down to one uh, before one uh, 50 years before the first. Um, so it's. It's it's great for Breeze that he's able to do that and they will be able to move on um, in, in terms of, you know, how the league reacts to that. I, I think it really sets a foundation for how teams and owners and coaches can react uh, to the Trump problem, because honestly, you know, it's it's been a long four years and um, a lot of people in America have kind of done the reading uh, because of the president um, and they know more than they did in 2016. And I think some owners will as well. And honestly, uh, not to get uh, too deep into punditry here, but um, a few of these owners probably want to preserve their political ideology and hitching their wagon to Donald Trump again. Uh, they probably don't see that as the best route to do that. Um, so so I could see them having a different response. Well, I mean, you're seeing that with poll numbers across the country for the first time in a while. Um, so there, something is is changing. There is a, a shift. But, uh, you know, I. Drew Brees also, and a lot of people asked right away, would this just to simply destroy the New Orleans locker room? Um, would this be repaired on any level for the Saints? And one thing about that, uh, one of the better locker rooms in the league is that you got your, your Cam Jordans and, and others who went and spoke with Brees. And, and I do, you know, for the initial response by Brees and probably how his heart was at that time, um, I do believe that people can learn if they're willing to, especially from people, friends, family members, Saints, his Saints teammates are family members to him, um, that there, clearly there was a listening process that probably informed that Trump response where he wasn't there a few days ago. So I don't know. It's like if you're with, with, with people that are, um, you know, down on Breeze overall, I mean, the initial response, absolutely. But are we also willing to see with everyone, not just growth? I mean, the whole point is where will we be five years from now? Um, five months from now, five weeks from now, where will where will all kids be? Will they see things differently than we do? And it's like it's going to be a creakier process with people with embedded thought processes that have been in their minds for decades. And it's it's going to be easier with young people that are sponges for justice. We and we've talked about it on this show for years before any of this happened. Drew Brees, like, what is? <laughs> yeah, that, we don't need to even get into it. But yeah, there's you can you know, read like, about oh, it. There's right. there's legal stuff. There's all sorts of stuff. Not as shocking. Not like, shocking that it came from him versus right. fill in the blank other quarterback. But even but, beyond like the uh, the legal proceedings and the situation with his mom and all that stuff, I I mean, just like, is he a genuine? Person And then my first reaction when the apology first apology came was, well, was this actually from some sense of uh, a level of enlightenment or did he sit down with a PR crisis team and and pound out a statement? Uh, But then you hear more and more about the story. And like we said, it was very behind closed doors. Actually, nobody had access to the Saints team meeting except for Shaq attack. Shaquille O'Neal was there. That was a a wild (laughs) subplot in NFL history that Shaq, who just happened to be scheduled um, for this, Shaq is, also, Shaq is also a cop, by the way. Just, just to, <laughs> Shaq is a like, cop. Right. <laughs> for the sake so of Shaq, uh, including. They keep Shaq on the Zoom call. He then, uh, apparently, it's very emotional. I think Peter King wrote that he couldn't uh, report that Breeze cried uh, in his conversations with teammates, but he may have. And then Shaq <laughs> spoke to the team about the importance of unity and not letting the media and social media. Oh, you uh, divide. Here's the thing. Um, the New Orleans Saints are a team of professional football players. Right. And they have been through a lot. And I guess the thing that I I wanted to try to tell people is they were going to be professionals no matter what. And we all work with people that say some things and do some things where we're just like, Man, what in the? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And especially, especially black men 
in America, if we were unable to work with everybody who said some flawed race stuff, then <laughs> we would never be able to work. And so, like, I understand, like, the the team huddle, the kumbaya, like, win again, again, win, think that it may have been a little awkward, but, like, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Marcus Davenport, like, Cam Jordan, they would they'd still be pretty good football players. Right. And, like, regardless of how they felt about Drew Brees. Right. I thought that part of it, how it relates to football, I wasn't really even thinking or worried <laughs> about that. Like, this is going to be their biggest problem. Because I just think back to all the teams that have had, like, think about the 2000, what year is it? Uh, the, the year of the Steelers first one with Ben Roethlisberger. Talk, talk to how, how all of his offensive teammates felt about him that year. <laughs> as they steamrolled to a Super Bowl. Like, you know, it just, you know, they're out there playing and, and they're going to find a way. It's also the middle, the middle of the summer now. Um, but it's... Well, how do you know Shaq wasn't in a team meeting in 04? <laughs> <laughs> right. He's like the Forrest Gump yeah. of unity. Yeah, we're going to... It's like, hey, we need somebody to kind of bring uh, team drama into perspective. Uh, let's go get Shaquille O'Neal, who famously got along with all of his team. Oh, yeah, no, and there were never any notable issues. Point. Came out of the Peter King article. Uh, Shaq is telling these Saints players, listen, man, if if the media didn't break up me and Kobe, we would have won five more titles. Now, bro, how about you take a little accountability yourself? We're yeah. getting off track. That's ridiculous. But, come on, Shaq. Um, all right. Good talk, guys. That's kind of what's happening, but there's so much happening in, in the NFL right now that uh, we could have talked another hour on that. But um, let's let's talk a little bit of football. You want to talk a little football, Patrick Claiborne? Like football. <laughs> yeah, football's good. We like football. Speaking of a unifying agent, uh, professional football. And, you know, we have uh, a 2020 season that continues. And who knows? Sessler, I know you've been tracking this very closely. Um, who knows what can happen with COVID-19 and uh, a second outbreak. Uh, let's hope, let's hope not. Let's hope. I'm the only one tracking this. This is a, you've been really on top of this more than anyone okay. I know. I respect you for it. Um, but well, just we, the hubris that somehow, because we want to go to the Westfield mall, that this virus doesn't exist. Number, anymore. Numbers that, aren't, that, numbers aren't great right now in like California no, and in Texas, but yeah. But I have to get my drink on and drive around town and sit under an umbrella with my girlfriends. No, not me. Someone else saying that, uh, you know, that person doesn't need the coronavirus is in their way at this point. So it doesn't exist. Get on a plane <laughs> right. to Vegas. Yeah, so- <laughs> Whether you want to criticize or understand where they're coming from, they they seem to be going full steam ahead. They said this season's going to happen unless. So let us, for the moment, Mark, if you can, imagine a, a week one in September. And with that in mind, um, with everything that's going on on the football side of things, what is like maybe an unpopular opinion that you hold? Something that not many people or any people would agree with, <laughs> but it's not, and it's not, you know, some people say, oh man, you're really going to die on that hill, man. You're going to really die on that hill. No, 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 no. We're looking to live hills that we're ready to live on. Do you guys get it? The conceit. Yes. Okay. Yep. Because we like the hill, right? right? Yeah, yeah. You know, this is, this is my hill. We're and tending to the hill. I might die on it, but I know I will conquer and live upon the hill. Yeah, you are going to slaughter everyone who tries to make you die on the hill, hmm. and you're right. going to bend them to your will. It will be the hill will be your own personal Valhalla. Look at it that <laughs> way. Greg, what okay. hill are you ready? I, I want to have here someone else go first. Come on, <laughs> you always do that. <laughs> I don't always do that. Well, because I'm still, well, you know, that's a Greg trope. All right. Well, I want to. It's your it's your tone of thing because I'm confused whether you know what the tone of the hill is. Whether you 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 think you might die or is it just like a prediction? I, you know, I want to I want to see what you're you're setting the tone here. Then that's on me because I do want to make it clear, but I also don't want to go first because I need to gather some thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I I'm saying I it's see where this is going passionately about, and you're willing yeah. to defend that hill when yeah. the aggressors try to take it. Yeah, they're going to storm me. They're going to storm. I, fine. And you want me to go first? I'll go first. Do it, Greg. I mean, Greg, I mean, because, simply, Greg simply came up with an answer during the filibuster no, section no. of the broadcast right there. I, I really was curious on the tone here. Because to me, it hills aren't, you know, 
they're not created overnight. This has to be something that, to me, it's not like, hey, I've got a bold prediction. You know, the Bucks are going to win 12 games. No, it's got to be something that, to me, that I felt like for a long time. If I'm willing to die, I'm recognizing Mm -hmm. that predictions and seeing into the future, that could be right or that could be wrong, but I need to feel the righteousness of this belief to be willing to die. Can I just jump in one second for for mindset purposes, Greg? You're not even willing to entertain the possibility that you would die. Well, (laughs) this is where we're we're, we're different. You're here to live. I feel a slight disconnect with this, too, but um, I will. I'm willing to die on this particular. I mean, because, you know, I know I know um, I've died a lot. I've died on some hills over the years, but this is one that I've been tending to. I've been building. And if people want to come at me, they can they can come at me in terms of my belief in Philip rivers because ah, I wanted uh, you to say Gino so bad. I was going to run around the street <laughs> because his corpse is rotting on that hill. So, the, so the hill, <laughs> the hill isn't just about his career. That's that's we, we know about that. We There's a lot of people can, on that hill, like a lot of the arguments, you can have a both sides argument of like Eli Manning and Philip Rivers. Like one side is wrong, but like you, you can make that argument that 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 Philip Rivers has been part of the problem. I I look at his career and I see a guy if he was in a, a million other situations um, that he would be a no question Hall of Famer. Um, that his skill set and his aggressiveness and his ability. Um, to put it on the money and and not worry about it would have succeeded in so many places so much better than a Chargers organization that never gave him the support with the offensive line and running game for about 10 straight years of his prime. And then as someone who's starting to lose hope to see him go to Indianapolis and go to a team that I think has a great head coach in a lot of ways, great at calling plays, great at managing his team, a great GM who I think's put a, a smart team around him, and most importantly, a great offensive line in front of him. Like I am willing to die on the hill that Philip Rivers is not only going to be an asset and, and carry the Colts uh, further than they've been in a long time, but that he's going to be a much better signing than Tom Brady ever was. That that Philip Rivers was the guy that with this situation, with this Colts team, was the guy who was brought in this offseason that's going to make the biggest difference. And we're going to be talking about the Philip Riversance all all season long. Wait, so so much better than Brady. Um, statistically or in terms of, uh, I mean, it's all, I know we're not allowed to care about quarterback uh, victories. Those don't matter. It's all all connected. He's just going to play better. And he was a better signing uh, and a more valuable signing to me than Tom Brady was in Tampa. Not that I'm like just trashing whatever Brady is going to do, but I think Phillip rivers has more left in the tank and is in a great situation. Uh, It may be a better situation than Brady and that he's going to outplay him this year. All right, here's my issue. (laughs) Because this is supposed to be a hill that you're living on, and you're just on this hill alone. I've been here. And I see see blankets everywhere, picnic baskets. Yeah, it's crowded. It's crowded. (laughs) A lot of people think what you think on this 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 could have. Well, this is maybe, and it would have been a benefit of me not going first then. You know, you've got a problem. The addition of the Tom Brady addendum uh, removes some people from the hill. Right. Yeah, the Brady part got you had the Brady a was really what I was there. what I was leading to. But to me, you know, if you're going to die on that hill, it's got to be something that's been it's been inside of you. Uh, and and that's how it, it it pushes forward into this season is that is the he's better than Brady. Come on. Philip Rivers pushing forward inside of Greg. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, uh, well, there's that, too. Who knows? Yeah. Could have another another Rivers. All right. <laughs> Your turn, Patrick. The hill you're willing to live on. Uh, the hill that I'm willing to live on, um, it should have been pretty obvious uh, to anybody, um, that you're watching a game and a team scores a couple of touchdowns and it's early on. Now and somebody on the broadcast team says, well, folks, they've got all the momentum. And then, of course, what happens, whether it's the Kansas City Chiefs or the Buffalo Bills or anyone, uh, the other team comes back and leaves you wondering, 
what the hell was the point of this quote unquote momentum, this all seeing, all knowing force that surrounds us and penetrates us and binds football together. Um, momentum does not exist. It is a figment of our re- imagination. If you want to call it good vibes, uh, call it good vibes, but there is no force that gives you a boost. It, it just doesn't happen. Uh, you want points. You, you would like to put points on the scoreboard, this metaphysical will to win, blah, 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 platitude, schmatitude. It just, it, it, it's fake. It's fake. We're human beings. Uh, we, we, we live to see patterns. Um, as my child storms in the garage, but we, it's, it's a survival thing. We, we want to try to make everything make sense. Uh, everything isn't always going to make sense. It just, it's not real. It's, it's made up. Stop it. Patrick, one question. When, when the score was 28 to three and I was writing my article about the uh, Falcon, the Patriots defense uh, letting the team down and with every passing moment sitting in that stadium. Now I'm not for or against your theory necessarily, but you could feel, cause we were sitting on the Falcon side of the field with their fans, that contingent starting to slowly grow more silent by the minute. Um, but on the field, the Patriots, their body language, their energy was shifting and changing. And suddenly, coming into full bloom was the most apocalyptic loss by any team in the Super Bowl ever. Uh, and I don't know if it just happened because, you know, the X's and O's matched up. And, yes. I mean, it, it did feel to me that at some point teams are broken. And the, when they went into overtime, I would have bet um, all my possessions, which are not much, that uh, the Falcons were not winning that game. And I don't know if it's momentum or if it's just I'm feeling something. Yes. What say you? <laughs> How about a it's- follow-up example? Before Patrick responds, a follow-up example. <laughs> it's been to this past playoff season uh, where the Tennessee Titans, a 9-7 and seven outfit that nobody, despite you know mega gains made in the post-Tannehill world, all right, maybe they can go up to New England and win. And, in fact, they did. And that was nice. But guess what? That momentum, uh, momentum maybe is the wrong word. And maybe, yes, maybe, it is. Yes, yeah. Where we go? Welcome to the hill, Dan. Uh, <laughs> confidence. confidence is a thing. Teams, players, teams, anything in your life, confidence can help drive you forward. And for the instance, for the example of the Titans, the confidence gained beating the Patriots in New England, that confidence slash momentum, whatever you want to call it. I believe absolutely played a role in them going to Baltimore the next week and doing what they did to the Ravens. What say you? Uh, I I think the Titans were a good football team and they made plays and they won the game uh, based on the plays that they made. Uh, I think that's what happened there. And Mark with the Super Bowl, um, (laughs) if momentum was real, then why didn't the Falcons win the Super Bowl? Well, <laughs> I, I don't because here's one thing I do able to come back. Here's <laughs> one one thing I totally agree with you on. When I see a team in like end of first quarter, it's seventeen nothing. You're like, whoa, there's way too. The momentum doesn't mean once you've captured it earlier in the game that you roll with it. I think it shifts like an ocean, and the Patriots caught a wave that um took mm. them to shore. So I, that's mean, what I'd say. So exactly. What momentum is depends on what the result is, and we can apply it after the fact. All right. Correct. So, so, so it, it always exists and it explains every win and every single loss. Mm. Yep. So Clavon, Clavon, this is the second uh, podcast. He's, he's really been going on about this lately. He was ready. Dude, with the topic. Take, I mean, this is it. Yeah. He was, he was, he was on the saints uh, Twitter podcast. People should check it out. That boy Wolf. It was a great, it was a really great episode. Um, my buddy Adam and, and they talked about this and the, the one only retort to momentum I had too is well, there is something to like feeling more and more confident, um, maybe as things are going well for you, and that and that can be helpful. But to to answer, let's say the Falcons thing, I guess I do still just believe, and I know it's not the world that happened, but when you go watch that game in the final seven or eight minutes, that all of those that there were seven, eight. 10 plays where if it had been a, a split second different, or if a Falcons player had done thing, something a little bit better like than the game was the over. That, that Tom Brady right. That those the final drive, right. That those things just could have, they could have happened. They, they didn't happen, but that was up to the player on the field and it didn't happen. And then if just one of those happens then we're never talking about momentum or anything like that. Yeah, I, All right. 
Dan's not, not Dan's not on this hill. Yeah. Oh no, I'm actually I was more that was kind of a little devil's advocate, but um <laughs> I, I was more taken back by uh, that Patrick spun it to momentum, which is interesting and it's a good it's a good way to, to I, mix seg you know well like because the place that jumps out to me the most is in college football where they're they're always talking about it and we're always doing this booth psychoanalysis of 19 year olds and it's like well here's what these 19 year olds were thinking 19 year olds have no idea what they're thinking because they're 19 it it just they they don't know and you don't know either you would you would you would hate you would hate the uh you would hate to be a huge uh pro tennis fan as i am and listen to half the the trash analysis which is all about momentum and mental and never like mentioning Uh it's it's trash (laughs) all right so let me go next and i'll uh, uh the conceit in my mind in my mind of this segment was you have to be alone on the hill greg has a whole a whole like subdivision of people with him on the Philip Rivers is going to be good hill. Claybon, the momentum thing, I don't know. I don't even know what to make sense of it, but there's probably <laughs> some people that definitely agree with you and are on that hill with you. But I, how about this for a hill that I'm alone on and I'm not afraid to live is that Derek Carr is going to be getting MVP buzz by November if uh, if we indeed play football because, first of all, we, you know, I'm we, we, this use down. That, we use this as the <laughs> – um, the Baker Mayfield explanation why he's going to be fine. I've seen it before. Okay. We, we said that with Mayfield. Well, then why can't we say the same thing with Carr? that uh, I know it's, it's been a few years in the rearview mirror, but he's still, a, you know, I think he's 28, 29 years old. And I think what they've been building in Oakland and now Las Vegas is an offense that ultimately can really take a step up here in year two, with Gruden, and I, I speak not just of Henry Ruggs, um, the Alabama star wide receiver who was the first wide out off the board in the draft, but you kind of look at the roster. Um, Josh Jacobs, who probably should have won Offensive Rookie of the Year last year. Tyrell Williams, who is a, a very solid uh, receiver. Hunter Renfro, Greg, you know, I know Greg's had his issues, but he, he really made strides as a first-year player. Darren Waller broke out as uh, the most productive wide receiver in the league just about last season. I I think that with Gruden year two, Carr year two, Mike Glennon, is he still the guy installed as the principal backup there? I think that was good for the head the headset space of Derek Carr, who seems like a guy who could be a little bit emotional and, and maybe would be negatively impacted by like a Cam Newton on him. Uh, He's on got the Marcus Mariota there, who Mike Mayock, yeah, you know, Mike Lennon is in Thank Jacksonville. You. Thank you very much. Mike Marcus Lennon's Mariota still recovering from the fire he took uh, from Akeem Hicks over the weekend. <laughs> that that oh, the yeah, concept that, that the backup can be too good and it makes your starter sad uh, could have been another hill that I would have died on. <laughs> Well, I, I believe that, though. I think some guys are mentally tougher than others. And um, Carr, I'm not going to call him not mentally tough, but he's somebody who reads everything and sees everything. Um, so anyway, put it together. I always thought that Carr had a, a quality skill set, and I just like him in year two in this offense with better playmakers around him. I think the Raiders are going to be better this year. I really think they have a chance to contend. And I'm not saying he's anything close to Patrick Mahomes or um, – Lamar Jackson or insert QB here. I just think he's going to put up numbers that it's going to be like, remember when like Jared Goff was getting a little MVP buzz a couple years ago and it wasn't really serious, but it was like, well, you can't deny the fact that this team is in first place and he's putting up huge numbers. That's kind of what I mean by MVP uh, buzz. Yeah. It's uh, already that- happened for Derek Carr. I love when people bring back that season twenty. 20- 16, I think it was when it's like, hey, it's like Derek Carr was in the MVP race. Yeah, like if you weren't watching the games, he wasn't one of the five best quarterbacks in the league that year either. (laughs) That's important. That's the distinction that I'm making here that I don't want you to think that I think he's going to be actually worthy of an MVP selection, but he's going to be putting up numbers that are at a Pro Bowl level that uh, he's going to be helping this team. And people Mm. aren't going to be talking about, ooh, get Marcus Mariota in there. I think Derek Carr is going to be not good, but very good this year. Uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders, and I'm ready to live on that. Wow. I think you're not. I think it's fair to say that there aren't a lot of people, um, you know, crowding your body while you lie out on your, uh, you know, mat sunning yourself on that hill. You're, there's not a lot of uh, Raider Nation there. there with you. They're all in the, you know, they're all in the casinos. Oh, that's yeah. fine. But I mean, <laughs> no they are. On. 
we're, I don't think we're looking at Raiders fans as the acid test of wh- whether this theory I'm sure works. Some or not. Raiders fans are wearing masks, Greg. Right. I would like to know what Derek Carr does that is special. Um, but but I, do, do I think he can have a good season based on what's around him? Yes, and I think it's probably contingent on what's around him. Mm. I, I think to be in that MVP conversation, I, I'd have to go look. Uh, maybe I could pull up the uh, DVOA from 2019. Uh, the Raiders were tabs uh, second to last in terms of defensive DVOA. Uh, they're going to need to be better if we're going to be talking about the Raiders which would mean we were talking about Derek Carr uh, on the defensive side. I, I thought he had an okay year uh, last year. They couldn't stop anybody. Uh, they weren't a very super watchable football team uh, other than that. But I could, I mean, like you said, uh, Mark, uh, there's there's a few people there. That, like if, if what Dan is saying is that there's this 2015 Andy Dalton possibility, uh, yeah, I, I, I could see that kind of season for, it, for Derek Carr. put a button on it this way. I would not be stunned if we're talking about um, come New Year's Day, Derek Carr, you know, 4,000 yards passing, 32, 34 touchdowns. Interceptions are low because he's always been good at protecting the ball. So let's say about, you know, 12 interceptions, a passer rating around 100, that type of year that maybe on paper looks better than what a football head actually believes about him as a player. But when you're talking about the MVP – um, as Mark points out often, almost as often as he talks about COVID-19 and tracking that uh, disease, <laughs> is that it's narrative-driven and this idea that the Raiders are heading to the playoffs and Carr is ha- coming off his best season ever. I just see that. I see that all as possible. That's it. That's my hill. Hmm. <laughs> I didn't know you were so passionate about Derek, you know? I uh, See, does it come off as passionate or just that's kind well, of just the vibe of if, getting if you're, if you're willing to die on Derek Carr than you guys. I always well, have. I mean, well, you like, have to find a it, hill where 25,000 other people aren't. Right. Well, you done. have to be willing to die. It's it's tough to th- no, thread I'm that needle of like he gets MVP love, but he's actually not that good. And um, <laughs> he, you know, he's he's yeah. great, but he's not mentally strong enough to deal with like a decent quarterback. Yeah, you, you it's, put, it's, a, it's a little needle here you're trying to thread. Yeah, you, you put Derek is, Carr like in a position to die on the hill with like the strays. You <laughs> it's gonna have an MVP season. <laughs> like, I, yeah, you know what? <laughs> if Greg ever resurrected his QB index, it would be Greg would have him as number ten at the end of the season. Okay. Right. Oh, you know what? I thought well, you know. Getting. West might be taking over QB index this year. There, that might be some breaking news for you. We'll see though. Oh, some buzz, some some sources saying that this year. Yeah. Good. I, I sat down with last year. And I said that should be something you're doing. You know, I feel like I should take some credit for that. <laughs> well, that's that turned quickly. <laughs> Mark, your turn. Well, I also believe that the that the narrative uh, driven um, aspect of football is stronger than ever, and especially with these awards they hand out. Um, but there are times when it makes sense to give someone an award when they've done something remarkable. Um, and I am talking about, I am telling you right now, you are willing to throw sandwiches this way uh, in reverse of me, that the coach of the year, give me a break with Bruce Arians and all it's everyone's already got all these awards just handed out. It's going to be Zach Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, you're dying on that hill. I'm living on that hill because I'm going to tell you something else that's going on here. Is they that, say the smell of a corpse is almost sweet. <laughs> well, you know, you, you want me to pick something that's, that half that half of America agrees with, or do you want something? I want you to pick something the, you believe. Follow the exercise. Well, I'm starting to believe it more and more. And there is the paranoia. <laughs> really can I speak for one minute without Greg and Dan interjecting 14 times with their own? I want you offer your opinion now, Dan and Greg. Get it out of the way. Okay. Um, well, Get it just, out of the way. It's just... I have no comment. I, I love this hill because previously you've kind of been on the can anyone in America name Zach Taylor? Can anyone tell Absolutely. me anything that he did for the and 2019 I will, Bengals? As hill? I continue so along really with my changed. explanation, the narrative is perfect because as of instead of everyone just saying, we know that Bruce Arians, is it has, he's won it twice. He's going to go 12-4 and four with the... With the Bucks, it's a nice story, and just give it to Bruce Arians or give it to fill in the blank. Oh, give it to John Harbaugh. Just here comes someone that if I had to ask any of you to write down the, the defining 
trait about Zach Taylor right now. You'd be lying <laughs> if you wrote anything. You have no idea who he is. Now, what the number one thing that helps a team that doesn't have the best coach win coach of the year is a worst-to-first or a worst-to-playoff scenario. They are 2-14 and 14 a season ago. The team was, I mean, they made vanilla look like the most exciting flavor at the uh, ice cream stand, if that's where they're selling the ice cream. <laughs> so now you go 2-14. and 14. Joe Burrow is going to come in. Part of these are there's some contingencies here. Oh, this coach, you had to deal with, uh, you know, getting a rookie quarterback ready during a corona time. And I know everyone says we're going to roll back into these complexes four days from now, and everyone's going to be sweating on top of each other. But we'll see how that plays out. There may, it may not be quite that easy. He's on top of this stuff, guys. There is a <laughs> roster. in the, the Bengals roster, both sides of the ball, is serviceable to quality. Um, there is, if you look at their offense, and I, I have some issues with the offensive line, you could look at a team that with seven playoff teams, yes, the Bengals could hopscotch a team like Cleveland that is just as a shaky deal as we and, – and part of me, real fear is I think that the whole Juro, Joe Burrow-Bengals thing might just simply replace all the Browns hype, and then the Browns could be a, a big big mess from a year and, a year from now. The Bengals could sneak into the playoffs. They go 10-6, and 11-5. Zach Taylor along the way will have all these fluffy thing pieces written about him. Uh, probably by some people we know, maybe by me, who knows. And then uh, by, the, by season's end, he is the perfect candidate to take a 2-14 and 14 team with the most exciting rookie quarterback that we've seen in a long time. They go 10-6. and six, They sneak into the playoffs. Maybe they pull one of these Rex Ryan deals where that Jets team in 2009 played the Bengals in week 17 and a Bengals team going into the playoffs that slept. That, was a, that jet team had one of the best defenses of the decade though. They had a tear. They had a, they had a good had running awesome game. Run. I I'm just saying, but a lot, not a lot of people were saying the jets were a playoff team. Then I'm not really comparing them to that jets team either. It's a different deal, okay. but I'm on a hill. You asked me to go on a hill. I'm on a hill with Zach Taylor and a playoff Bengals team. I don't see any of you hanging around no. next to me. I'm I'm concerned that, that you're going to die on the hill like of starvation. Uh, there's not a lot of infrastructure uh, on this hill, and, and I don't know that there's going to be a lot of people that like come to fight you, and, and then you could kill them and steal their rations. Um, <laughs> well, that's yeah. fair. This has you're, been a this has been a, this a, is a year. This, is a good of, hill choice. this has been a year of movements, um, of a polar shift of change. And the Bengals have been the most boring thing in professional football outside of you know, the Detroit I, Lions for a long time. And it's all going to change. And the narratives, you're not going to even be able to handle the narratives <laughs> by late September. You're not going to even be able to handle them. I hope you're right, because um, that would be cool for Cincinnati to be good at football again. My, my biggest concern, and Mark, you and I both fans of franchises that have been historically... Uh, inept, especially in the last couple of decades. Uh, Cincinnati is right in that group. So typically these organizations don't have these like eureka moments where all of a sudden they go from zero to hero. And for that reason, I, I have concerns that Cincinnati will be the feel-good story just because a lot of these bad teams that aren't run well tend to stay that way for a reason. But you are right in what you're saying about there is talent on the roster and the quarterback could be special. Zach Taylor, of course, as we've talked about on the show, is a complete unknown. I like the only him, though. Thing we know about Zach Taylor is that um, when given a horrible team and no chance to win, his team won't win. That's What else do I know about Zach Taylor? <laughs> well, yeah, and He's I tall. don't know if... He's a very tall man. He's about 6'3". Uh, he stands out. Is he, uh, is he really? Wow. Yeah. I would have, I thought he was like 5'11 or something. He, uh, I like him. I li- I've talked about it, but when we I did that coach's breakfast, I like the cut of his, you know, I like the way he handles himself. I think he, I could see why, how he could walk into an interview room and impress everyone. He, he does, he's not ostentatious, but I think he's confident in what he does. And I think we've talked about the talent around Joe Burry is awesome, but they remind me a little bit of the Browns in that a terrible offensive line without really a plan to fix it could ruin one of the best skill position groups in the league. And I think the Bengals could be that. I mean, if you look at their top six, seven skill guys and their receivers, it's awesome. And Joe, Joe Mixon's playing awesome too. And Gio Bernard and like, but they have a, a pretty bad offensive line that, that they're just hoping they get, you know, a top 10 pick and Jonah Williams back and everything, uh, everything. I see, fine. I see like way it's nighttime on my Hill and in the, you know, about three miles away, there's a little campfire burning and Greg is a little sleeping yeah, bag I out like there that. and he's, well, he's making fit, his way up to the Hill. He's camping out the, the narrative. Here's where Zach Taylor fits. 
you're right. It's like, it's like there was no room on my hill. It was overpopulated. So <laughs> voters, to- voters love the the team that's not really that good, but wins nine or ten games, and giving right. that coach of the year over just like an awesome coach. Like this is how Dick Duran won. Uh, coach of the year. This is how Jim Hazlitt won coach of the year. This is how Matt Nagy won coach of the year. Mike Smith, you know what I mean? Like that, there's a lot of those types of things and then they fall right back. And like, you could see that if they are able to somehow scratch out 10 wins, they're going to need the defense to do a lot. And you know, it's a good thing about these Hills right now when it is quiet, when the sun goes down and you're alone with your thoughts because of the COVID, you want to try to look at optimist viewpoint sometimes you know, a, a decrease in pollution. We could see those stars in the sky. Yeah. We we are the virus. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good like conversation. Nice talk. Uh, everybody. Really good stuff. Um, hey, Ricky, where are you at? Whoop, there she is. Hey. How are you? How's life? It's good. How are you guys? Great talk today. Yeah. That was nice. Talk a combo. Good combo. What's going on? We're West still Hollywood? taping. We know that, right? Yeah. Oh, you are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, West, Hollywood. Up West Hollywood. Yeah, it's cool. Did you see how many people showed up to Hollywood yesterday? It's it's so awesome. It's we got to keep doing it. Stuff's happening, and it's it's so great. Um, Jam packed. Erica, it's time to yeah. spin the wheel. The Let's wheel of team. That. Oh, as we've done every week. Uh, for about a month now, we are picking one team to talk about on the Wednesday episode of the Around the NFL podcast. Uh, last week, we did a deep dive on the Tennessee Titans. We've also talked about the Giants and the Cardinals. And now, Claybon, we're going to spin the wheel once more. Uh, where does this rank in terms of like greatest moments of your broadcasting career? It's up there. Um, probably like uh, there are a few like Jerry Jones statements that I had to read in their entirety. Uh, and uh, I died a little on the inside. Those those are all in the top five. This is number six. The best thing right. uh, I think we talked about in this podcast, but Sessler and I, when we were working on the uh, edit news desk, when you had a transcribe, nobody better to transcribe than from Jarrah because he talks so slow and deliberately. No problem getting every word of a statement from. Jarrah. Well, but. To be fair, Dan, he also, um, if you, and I wonder if this is, if Patrick has noticed this, when you read, Jerry Jones begins a thought, and then he'll branch off into another thought mid-sentence, and then a third thought and a fourth thought, um, and never really circle back around to close, uh, to put a pin on any of them. So transcribing it feels not unlike um, a a dangerously uh, potent acid trip. (laughs) Right there in the middle of the newsroom. (laughs) It's a word salad vortex. All right. Let us... In the wheel, Ricky. Let her rip. Whoa, <laughs> there are the Las Vegas Raiders. How about that? That's interesting. Huh. So the Raiders are the next choice um, on uh, are the next selection in our ongoing series. How about that? We got to think about who do we want to talk to connected to the Raiders. That will be. Hmm. I'm sure our old friend Mike Mayock would want to jump right on and spend 20 to 25 minutes with us. Yeah, get, get Mike. He'll, he'll come on. Where's the I shot? I mean, if Claybon can do uh, over an hour, you know, right after the birth of his daughter here, I know we can't be popular in your house right now as we continue to, to honk yeah, it, on here. Yeah, Mayock can come on, please. Yeah, if I can shirk my responsibilities as a father and a husband, <laughs> then why can't Mike Mayock uh, <laughs> jump on a podcast? <laughs> uh, all right, Ricky, that, that is our official ask out to you as our producers to reach sure out to the Raiders organization to get Mayock. And uh, if we don't get him, we'll figure out somebody else. Patrick, yes, we can't keep you any longer because you came, you spoke, as always, a man, a bastion of uh, both insight and integrity. And we thank you. <laughs> Hey, I, I just uh, thank you guys. Uh, I know like there's a lot of people that, you know, have, have reached out to me on Twitter. And I I know that there's a lot of people that wouldn't have reached out to me or even known I existed, if, if not for you guys uh, bringing me on this podcast to to ramble mm. uh, occasionally. And so uh, I appreciate you all as well. I, I think you are probably you. You're definitely got to be sixth all time in appearances on this show is the four of us. There's Colleen, I would imagine, oh, yeah. has to be fifth. And I think you got to be sixth. 
Let's do it. Well, see, right. you got to be putting him six. Put him second because second. you don't count us. Second, yeah, yeah. you shouldn't count us. That's <laughs> true. Second. Isn't uh, doesn't Rex Ryan have that uh, Mark Sanchez tattoo like of, of his wife in the jersey with the number six? I'm like, I could get that exact tattoo, and I think it would be kind of thematic about uh, you our relationship. Do that today, please. You can pass Colleen too. I, I think you're gunning for. He's literally think, trying to stand happen. up. Stop talking to him. He's like Clavon is trying to no, get up. When when Mark was uh, was on his hill, the. Lauren and Malcolm came in here and they opened the cat door and the cat came in the garage. Well, the garage Ooh. door is open and I don't want the cat to escape. You have, you have, <laughs> what, you have one, one dog and two cats or two cats and uh, take it offline. <laughs> he's got to get out of here. But, um, but yeah, right. so I, like we're having a stare off right now. He's like, I'm going to get, I'm going to leave. I'm going to get out of here. So we don't want you to out of the garage, too. So we're going to let you go right now. Thank you again, Patrick. Great, great to hear from you. This is Dan Hansa signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, Patrick Claybon, and the great Ricky Hollywood from West Hollywood. Until Wednesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.